We continue in our uh, time in James here in chapter 2. And if you haven't already turned there, uh, you can turn there now. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you'll notice that in today's uh, section that there is uh, much talk about partiality. Of course, that's part of the, the title. But it has to do with the rich and poor, particularly. And he gives an illustration as such. And if you, you probably don't remember, but if you are reading James like I am, you will remember that in verse 9, and 11, 9 through 11 of chapter 1, he already addresses the rich and poor. And he will continue to do that as kind of a pattern in James in that he will address something early on, like suffering, and then pick it up later on in, in, in the letter. And then, uh, of course, here with our topic this morning in regards to the rich and poor, um, he'll do that again later in chapter 5. Okay? And what he'll do is he'll pick up some themes, he'll have a command for us, and today it will be in regard to those, how we treat the rich and poor. Later on in chapter 5, he'll address the rich more directly, just like he did in, in uh, chapter 1 of uh, verses uh, 9 and three eleven. Okay, But this morning, what we want to do is kind of pick up from our last time uh, together, and he addressed uh, those uh, Christians that may be uh, in the midst of persecution and suffering, and thus even financial hardship because of famine. Okay, And under those circumstances, how ought a Christian to act, or how should a Christian uh, conduct themselves? And uh, in the very previous section in chapter 1, uh, one of the hallmarks of being a true believer is that the word will manifest itself. And in particular, it'll manifest through your tongue. It'll manifest the way that you interact with those that are uh, less fortunate. And it'll manifest in terms of how you address the world, in terms of worldliness. And here, in uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he'll talk about how Christians ought to conduct themselves in regards to the rich and poor, right? And that there ought not to be partiality. And we'll be talking about that um, quite a bit, and we'll define that as well, okay, so that we are all clear in regards to what the Lord would desire in regards to our thinking, in regards to, you can, you can use another synonym for partiality, discrimination. That's a very popular word these days. Favoritism, okay? But you'll see in, in the translation here that they use that word partiality, right? So that's the introduction. Let's read the text I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it, okay? <clears throat> Here's the reading of God's Word, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing come, also comes in, 
And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blasphemy the honorable name by which you were called? Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go to this section of his word. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to worship together as a church. We thank you for your word that you provide to your children so that we may learn and ultimately change. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and minds now as we receive it and that we would ultimately change unto the image of your Son, Christ. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that too small for you guys? Can you guys read that? Okay, here that's the outline for this morning. And you'll see right off the bat that James uh, commands his brethren, right? And when James uses that term, often he'll shift a little bit in regards to his, his topic. And we see that him doing that here. And he's addressing the issue of partiality in the church And the very first thing that really dominates the rest of the, actually, 14 verses uh, in in chapter 2 is this first verse. And so if you want to understand the rest of of this section here in chapter 2, is to understand the command against partiality. Look there in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's, let's define some terms here, okay? There's a clear command to show no partiality. So if we want to understand it, here it is. Okay, there it is. Okay, and I can't see that far, so I'm going to do this. All right, come in. Okay. The reason why I have A in front of uh, B is that in some translations, the, um, the, the command do not hold comes in front of the partiality. Okay, but um, we'll just go through the partiality first. So let's define the term, the idea of partiality. And it's, uh, it's not used in secular Greek or in the Septuagint, okay? And uh, it seems as though uh, James and the New Testament writers use this uh, in a very unique way. And it literally means to, you see there, I want to make sure it's right, to receive the face, okay? It's to receive the face. And the implication here is that you are making a value judgment 
based upon somebody's uh, appearance. Okay? And so he's saying, do not receive the face. Do not judge or show partiality or favoritism or discriminate against someone based upon their appearance. Um, that's the command, okay? Now, that, that seems very straightforward, right? It's very straightforward in that, you know, that, that's kind of the watchword these days, right? Is that we don't want people to be discriminating, okay? Uh, especially in our larger American culture. And in fact, we can argue that it's a larger world culture uh, phenomenon, this idea that uh, we are trying to go beyond uh, our, our history, especially our American history, of discrimination, where we um, uh, went through slavery, okay? And we often base our uh, judgments according to skin color, okay, and race and ethnicity. And so it, it's a very popular watchword, okay? But here, it's a little bit more specific. Now, in terms of the uh, broader application, of course, we can apply it to uh, race, uh, religion. But here, it's more specific to uh, the socioeconomic uh, differences. Okay? And he'll illustrate that in, in the um, consequent verses, starting in verse 2. Okay? But the command is clear that we should not be uh, making value judgments against one another based upon our external exper- uh, appearances. Okay. Now, what does it mean here when he says, uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? Okay. And this idea of holding is to possess Stop holding, stop possessing faith and partiality. And what he's arguing here is that when you are holding or possessing faith in Jesus, you cannot hold on to or continue to hold on to partiality. Okay? So it doesn't uh, make sense. It doesn't work to try to hold on to favoritism, to discrimination, to partiality while we hold faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and note here that um, this is one of two places he uses Jesus' name by name, okay? The Lord Jesus by name. First, in, first time in chapter 1 and, and here at the beginning of chapter 2. And uh, note that James is, uh, of course, the half-brother of Jesus and uh, he knows Jesus. He knows the way that he lived. And uh, as he ultimately came to faith in uh, Jesus, um, it reflects, Jesus' life reflects of one that showed no partiality. If you look through the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus... Um, doesn't discriminate. He doesn't show partiality. From the highest of rulers in John 
chapter 3 with Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, okay, um, to the lowliest of those that he was healing, or even the immoral woman by the well in John chapter 4, to the tax collector in Matthew chapter 9, to those that he was healing with leprosy, Jesus does not discriminate. He does not show partiality. From the lowest of the low to to the highest of the high, that he was looking at the heart. He was looking, and he can see very clearly, right? And I think one of the key uh, principles that we need to take away from here in regards to not discriminating is the, the closer we can emulate or imitate the way in which Jesus lived and walked in this earth, the, the closer we are going to be able to not show partiality. Okay? If we are to live and model the way that Jesus went about this life, the easier we're going to be able to fulfill this command not to show partiality. Because he didn't judge based upon uh, appearance like we often do. Okay? And as to whether James is referring to this example in, uh, in verse 2 as, as a hypothetical or as an actual event, okay? um, we can see that that could have been a, a real-life possibility that he's draw, a drawing from. Okay? But nevertheless, uh, as you think about your own life, and the many instances where we make quick value judgments based upon appearance. It ought to uh, um, hit us to the quick, to, very quickly, right? To, to, the, to our hearts and to our souls in that we do that almost every day. I mean, you think about um, just even driving, right? And, you know, when, when everyone is getting along and everything is nice, uh, everyone is nice to each other, and in, in a large part, there is no partiality. But when there is a sting of anger or suffering or something that moves us to a position of non-peace is when our flesh manifests itself. Just think about it. You're driving... Someone cuts you off, and you see that person, you go, oh, of course, yeah. Of course it's a woman. <laughs> Did I say that? Did I just say that right now? Or in your heart, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, of course, it's this ethnicity or this race. It's so sneaky, isn't it? It's, it's when, when everyone, let's, 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 let's think about it. If everyone were rich and there wasn't much care in terms of, or, or concern in terms of our finances, it, it would be easier to get along. But in the situation where there are disparities and you want to get to the rich club, richy rich club, okay, that is when uh, our ability to stay uh, non-partial, okay, 
uh, starts to dwindle. Okay. But again, I think one of the key takeaways here in the very first verse is to look at the life uh, and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ okay, and set him as a model in regards to how we go about uh, living this life and looking at each other. Okay. Um, we'll talk more about that here in, in this next part. But really, um, did I go through that? Already. All right, so we can't hold our faith in Christ and partiality at the same time. And then lastly, that little phrase there, the Lord of glory. You know, um, in studying this, uh, in 2,000 years of, of, of uh, interpreting this, uh, there have been uh, no less than seven different ways to interpret that little phrase. Okay? Um, but... I think there's two main ways to look at this, okay? And it's translated in the ESV as the Lord of glory. And uh, what that means is that uh, glory is what all believers are destined to uh, when we get to heaven and the state in which Jesus himself now exists. So for Jesus to be described as the Lord of glory is referring to himself as the Lord of the heavenly sphere. Okay, so that's one way to understand it. Another way to understand it is uh, to see it as our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. And um, here it's emphasizing that, that he was glorious, but he showed no partiality. That even in this lifetime, he, he was in an exalted state, and yet um, he showed no partiality toward others. So either way that you look at it, it's, it's uh, showing uh, a paradox between the state in which he existed and yet showed no partiality. Okay? And again, a cue for us to really look at his life and his character. Though he was the exalted one, though he is the glorious one, he treated everyone um, equally. And he didn't do it based upon appearance. All right, so that's the first command. And so as, as, we, as we go from here, that will be key in regards to understanding the rest of this section. Okay, point number two. What happened there? <laughs> okay. It's an illustration of partiality, okay? It's an it's a illustration of partiality. You see, he brings up this scenario, okay, of a, a rich man and a, and a poor man coming into the assembly. And that word assembly means synagogue. And in the early church, many were, of course, uh, Jewish believers. And uh, until they were finally kicked out, they would use the assembly uh, for their meetings, and so we're, we're imagining a scenario on a Sunday, much like today, okay, where different people are coming in. And uh, he notices two very con- contrasting people, one rich and one poor. And you see there a man wearing a gold ring. And literally in the Greek, it's Mr. Goldfingers, okay? Okay. 
And so, you know, for... There it is, okay? It just... This, this popped into my mind, okay? All right? If you guys didn't watch Moana, uh, that's Mr. Shiny. I don't know his real name, but he sings that word, uh, song, Shiny, right? Shiny! And he's referring to gold, right? And look at all that gold, all right? So that's for all the high schoolers today, all right? Is that... Um, boom! This man walks in with uh, uh, gold fingers. Here, okay? Uh, you can't get any more illustrative than that, okay? Is that... Uh, that that's actually uh, a, a, an Indian um, celebrity, right? He's known for loving gold, okay? I found that on the internet. But literally, he's Mr. Goldfingers. That's, he's, he's the picture of, of this word here, okay? But it's to illustrate that uh, there, he is showing off his wealth, okay? There's a man that is coming into this assembly, this congregation, and he, there's an obvious difference, okay? Now, you know, in our assembly today, it's hard to know who's, who's got the bling, okay? Because, uh, you know, for the most part, we don't dress like that on, on Sunday mornings, okay? In fact, uh, some of the guys just wearing a T-shirt and, and shorts could be the wealthiest among us, right? Uh, you know, they, they try to look poor, but, you know, they got like million dollars in the bank, yeah, I see some of you, okay. Or then, then there's some that today, you know, like, like to drive nice cars, but it's leased, and they got the nicest uh, uh, suit, but, you know, it's on loan, right? So, all right. All to uh, say that it, it was much more noticeable uh, uh, here in this context, okay? And that the readers in the first century are going to uh, identify with a lot more than here in the 21st century, right? Is that there was a man that came into the assembly, obviously uh, has wealth, and there was an immediate reaction. It's a visceral reaction, okay? And it's not wrong to treat people nicely. And you see that what's happening here, right? There's three parties. There's the rich, there's the poor, and that, the, the one that is welcoming both. And it is James that is addressing the person welcoming both. Is that there is a person here in the, the assembly, he sees one party, and treats them a certain way, and then sees another party and treats them a different way. The first visitor has an air about him. Obviously, his fine apparel, it's shining. Okay? And then there is the poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. It's like, a, it's like a movie. It's like a little mini movie, isn't it? Like a little skit that James is presenting here, right? Black and white, okay? Rich and poor. And there's two reactions. Look at verse 3. You pay attention 
If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place. Now, what is this good place? Okay, it, or is it even the issue that he can sit? Because uh, a lot of times in the assembly, it was uh, a lot of standing. Okay? And in the synagogue, what you would do is uh, all stand around in a circle and you would uh, pray mostly. And this was the position of the prayer, was that often it was raised hands like this. We don't like to do that here at this church, but, you know, back then, they, <laughs> they, they did that a lot. Okay? And they would uh, raise their hands in prayer and, and be in, in a circle. So what was this position of favor of sitting down? It's hard to say, okay? But it, apparently it was a, a, a seat of favor, and that's the idea. The seat of privilege. It could be here in the front. Well, although, look at it, it's empty. Like people don't like to sit in the position of, of, of favor here. Only George, <laughs> Elder George, this morning. Okay, actually, people like the back. It's it's flipped now. Okay. But the member of the, of this congregation is directing the rich man to a favorable. Uh, a space, okay? And is obviously doing it, trying, and later uh, James will address this, he's trying to call favor with the rich person, okay? Look at the next phrase in verse 3. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. And literally that can be translated, sit at my footstool. That's the idea here, okay? And the idea of footstool used in the Old Testament and the New, okay, is that when a conquering king uh, conquered their enemies, they would make them their footstool. It's, it's to show, it's an illustration of dominance, of conquering. And for the person below them, a, a position of submission. So literally... This person is saying to the, the shabby clothes man, look, sit below my feet. And in almost any culture, and especially in Asia, okay, that's the dirtiest part. And he's telling this person, the poor man, to sit at my feet. Okay. There is an obvious difference in the way that this man is uh, treating the rich and the poor. Look at verse 4. Here's James's commentary on this situation. And his expected answer is in the affirmative. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the answer is yes. You have done the very thing that you've been commanded not to do. Okay? You have made a distinction. You have made a judgment. You have shown favoritism. You have shown partiality. 
You have discriminated based upon these people's appearances alone. Without asking them any kind of question, just in terms of the way they have dressed, you have made a judgment. What are these evil thoughts? James doesn't make it clear here, though, okay? It could be, and we get a clue in verses 5 through 7, that maybe he wants to call favor with the rich person, really, right? Because what can a poor person really do for you? Not much, right? Uh, You know, one of the things that... um, you learn in this life is that uh, that that it, there's a very clear distinction between the rich and poor, and often in this world we are motivated to call the favor of the rich because they be, are in positions to advocate for you, to help you, to scratch your back if I scratch yours. Okay, but the poor. There's very little, okay? And one of the things I remember as we were um, missionaries in Thailand and working with uh, the slums in Chiang Mai. And, you know, Chiang Mai is the second largest city in Thailand. But there's still slums right in the middle of it. And it's mainly made up of migrant uh, refugees and workers, it comes from the outside countries, uh, particularly uh, Myanmar, okay? Laos, the surrounding countries. Right? And because they're undocumented, they're very limited in terms of what they can do in, in the country. And so uh, many of them live in these slums. And uh, we were working with one of the churches that uh, works uh, in these slums to provide food, uh, we were part of that through uh, CHF, Children's Hunger Fund, and uh, as well as, of course, the gospel. Okay? And uh, one of the key things that you hear over and over is that I can't repay you, but God bless you. Right? And that they'll pray for you. Right? And, you know, that's, that's all often that they can do. Right? Is when you're in that position, you, you're one of your few um, things that you can do in repayment of grace that is extended to you is prayer. Right? But in this world, who wants that? Especially if you're not a believer. Right? And, but for the rich, The rich can provide so many things, right? And they are in a position to uh, repay your generosity or your kindness, okay? And this is the very thing that James is telling his brothers and sisters not to do, okay? Don't get sucked in to the way that this world works. 
you scratch, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Okay? Tip for tat. That word evil, translated wicked, evil, worthless, degenerate. It's often described of the devil as the evil one. So anyone who shows partiality in this manner is described as guilty of being judging with satanic motives. Satanic-like motives. It's selfish. It's worldly intentions. It is this very thing that James wants us to uh, stay away from. Over and over again, Scripture is clear that God judges without partiality. If you look at Romans uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it culminates in verse 11. He says, For God shows no partiality. Ephesians 6, 9, talking about masters and slaves. And he talks about himself. There is no partiality with him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality with God. In the context of God's judgment, he shows no partiality because he sees clearly. He's able to see through the appearance. I think one of the key things we have to do in order to imitate uh, the life of Jesus, the character of Jesus, is to see each man, woman, child in the image of God. I think one of the things that we need to be able to do is just that in order to keep away from this illustration. That each person in this world is created in the image of God, regardless of their appearance. They have an eternal soul that will either spend eternity with Him or away from Him. We need to live that way like Jesus did, don't we? We have to navigate this world in that manner. Not in the way that we are doing it currently by our appearance. There is a principle in the church growth movement called the homogenous effect, right? And this idea is that um, people like to gravitate like to like. And if you understand that, you can kind of tailor your church in a certain way so that it'll grab more people like you. And uh, it's been done to some degree of success, right? How unfortunate, right, that we're doing that. Lastly, 
This is the ridiculousness of partiality. The ridiculousness of partiality. I didn't know how else to uh, entitle this last part of this outline. It's just um, stupid. It's stupid to be partial. It's ridiculous to be partial. And that is the crux of James's argument here in verses 5 through 7. Okay, it doesn't make sense. And he will ask these rhetorical questions. And why are you being so favorable to the rich? Because they're the ones that are dragging you into court. They're the ones that are not going to experience eternal life. They don't know eternal values. And yet, you cater to the rich rather than the poor. Look at verse 5. Okay. Listen, my beloved brethren, okay, my bro- beloved brothers. Has not God chosen, and that's the word of chosen saint, you same in, in Ephesians chapter 1, those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. Now, right off the bat, um, not all poor people are going to heaven. Not all rich people are going to hell. Okay, let's get that clear. But Scripture makes it abundantly clear that there is a great I don't know how to put it. There's a grave concern if you are rich. Okay? And that it is very difficult to go to heaven if you are rich in this lifetime. Matthew chapter 19, okay? I want to start with this before we move on here. He says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's trying, there is great difficulty uh, for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And as, as you read that text, you often wonder, why is that? Why is it so difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? I think it lies in the fact that uh, uh, there is a, uh, a propensity for those that are rich to trust in their money and riches and security that it provides than in the God who provides. And as you search your own soul, uh, see if that's true. Jesus makes mention of the poor, of course, in his great sermon, Sermon on the Mount, that they will be inheritors of the kingdom of God. Okay. Again, it's not all poor, right? But it's the poor that reach out to the Lord. And in their desperation, they don't have anything in this life to cling to, other than who? To the God of the universe. And for those that can experience heaven here now on earth, why is there any need to reach out to the God of heaven when they got heaven on earth now? I think that's the quandary. I think that's the quandary we find many uh, believers in. Okay. 
I've heard some believers say that uh, it's not, like, it doesn't really show your character or inside when you're poor, but your character often reveals when you, when you get there, when you have everything. Well, I guess both can be true, okay? All right. And the point is that once you attain a certain level of, of wealth and, and riches, that it really reveals where your treasures are. Is it in buying everything and accumulating everything, or is it to use that wealth for the kingdom of God? Right. First Corinthians one twenty six to twenty. I think this is appropriate for us to read and understand um, in, in light of what James is saying here. He says, "For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. Look at there." What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God has chosen the lowly things of this world right, to elevate himself. And here, this person is trying to cater to, to the rich. When God has chosen the poor. Does that make sense? You're trying to call favor with those that are not chosen. But you, you kind of put the people that are chosen at your feet. It's ridiculous. It's ultimately stupid. They are heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. Those that are heirs to the kingdom, to those that love him, these are the people that we need to be treating right. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Okay, you have dishonored him. The implication is also that you are dishonoring God. When you dishonor the very person that God has chosen to be the heir of his kingdom, to dishonor those that love him, we are dishonoring him ultimately, aren't we? Okay. We are to help and protect the poor. And like I said, he's, he talks about it right before. 126. Okay. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are the, rich, the rich ones are the ones who oppress you and the ones that drag you into court. Now, the, the, it's not specific what he's, what he's saying here in terms of how they are oppressed and what, uh, for what they drag them into court for. 
But it seems as though James is referring to those that are using their wealth and influence to secure uh, favorable verdicts against the poor. Okay? And we get it. I mean, that happens here in America, right? Even with the great uh, judicial system that we have now. Those that are rich uh, have greater access to so-called justice than the poor. It is the privilege of the rich that can uh, get away with that, isn't it? Okay. Uh, whatever the offense may be. Okay. There's numerous cases. Right. Um, but I hold my tongue. Right. point is that James is trying to make is simply that, you know, you, you know the injustices that the rich are committing against you guys, but why are you showing favoritism to them? They're the ones that are dragging you into court, but you still want to kiss up to them. Does that make sense? And the, question, the answer is no, right? It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous, Right? It's the ridiculousness of partiality shown to those that are trying to harm you. Look at the last verse, verse 7. Are they not the ones who blasphemy the honorable name by which you were called? And whose name is that? It's the name of Jesus. The word blasphemy means to speak evil of, to injure, to injure another's reputation, to revile, to slander. And those that are rich, okay, are guilty of reviling the name of Christ. And those showing favoritism towards them against the poor are aligning themselves with blasphemers. It's ridiculous, isn't it? That those that are reviling the very name of the God that you worship, you're trying to align yourself with them. Okay. It doesn't make sense. Okay. And this is James's point is that partiality based upon external appearances, especially in regards to your socioeconomic uh, status, okay, is wrong, and it's stupid. And ultimately, it's not Christ-like. Okay? I'm going to end here with some questions. Okay? <clears throat> because... Uh, None of us should think that we're exempt from this, okay? Here's some questions to ask. Who do I avoid? Who do I gravitate toward? Who do I make an effort to spend time with? And it's very simple questions, isn't it? Like even in this here, in this congregation, are there cliques? Are there little subgroups that we kind of fall into? 
we avoid certain people for some reason? Okay. Um, key questions to ask ourselves, right? Because are we guilty of this? Okay. Not necessarily in terms of the social and economic status, but for other reasons. Okay. The principle goes beyond just the one that is presented here in terms of the socioeconomic distinctions. Okay. Ethnicity, race, okay. gender. Whatever it may be, uh, again, the way that we view each other, the way that we choose to associate with certain people or not, okay, should not be based upon appearances. Our drive, our motive to engage with others should come from a love of Christ and to emulate the way in which he lived. And the way in which he lived was he, he saw each person for who they were. They're, they are a child of God. They're created in the image of God. And for us to navigate this world in such a way Let's uh, close our time in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. May we be convicted of our sin in regards to this principle that we often uh, judge and are partial to people based upon their appearance. And even today, as we congregate outside, may we... Keep us from that and help us to live in a way that would reflect the life of your son Christ, that we would see people in the image of God, that they have eternal souls, and that they need you. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.